Welcome, everyone. We had a bit of bad news in our house uh, this weekend. I don't know if anybody's, anybody goes to Wycliffe CV School, where we've had Ofsted. How do you feel, Georgina? Oh, dear. We are rated as thoroughly inadequate. It's wonderful, isn't it? I can't wait for the sign. Welcome to Wycliffe COV. We are thoroughly inadequate. Rubbish. No, in, in, uh, inadequate, not rubbish, Jan. Inadequate. She's been there. She's seen it. So I remember jokingly to Fiona, I don't know if you have kids, I'm brilliant with kids. I remember saying to Fiona, oh, it's sad, your school's thoroughly inadequate. What should we do? Should we just burn it down? She cried salt tears. She wept. The thought that her school, and she loves her teacher, Miss Williams, the thought of her school that should be raided inadequate, and then the dad could say, I know, let's go down tonight and burn it down. Tears. What should we do with a broken world? Should we burn it down? No. God says we restore it. That's what he says. We restore it and we restore it fully. So if anybody here today needs a bit of restoration, you need a bit, about a whole lot of God. That's what you need. Let's read Romans 8, a little bit of Corinthians, and a little bit of Acts. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God in hope that the creation itself will obtain the freedom of the glory of us, the children of God. For we know that the whole world has been groaning in labor pains until when? until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption the redemption of our bodies act three repent then and turn to god so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the lord And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you. Heaven must receive him until the the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. You must listen to everything he tells you. And so rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Restoration, that's the topic, and it is the absolute heartbeat of the gospel. All things being made new. Personally, I don't like talking about my body particularly not publicly, but it's hard for people to believe that years and years ago, um, I was destined for a career in sport. I was international in cricket. I was in the international squad in football. I was county at rugby. I competed nationally at athletics, and all my life, from a very young age, was geared up to playing international sport. And I remember the day perfectly. We were playing. Um, have anybody heard of Neil Kinnock? Went to a grammar school. We was playing his grammar school in rugby. And I had a gap to go down the wing. 
the guy in the opposite team knew he couldn't get hold of me so he stuck his foot out and as I ran I don't know what happened but everybody heard this massive crack and smash and I looked down and my ankle was like this bones had gone ligaments had gone tendons had gone and in that moment my dreams had gone that was it my career in sport finished whatever I would have done PE teacher I don't know what but I love sport that's what I wanted to do went to the doctors nothing could be done I longed for restoration now it's hard looking at me now for you to realize just what I was like when I was 15 so I asked my mother I said "Mom, would you send up a couple of snaps we can just show what I looked like sadly they were all terrible and this is the best of a bad lot really this one here there we are you can, you can tell I'm 15. I've not got a hair on my chest. I don't know if you've noticed that. There I am, young, carefree, the wind blowing in my hair. And all I can remember of that day was just how blinking hot it was in that full leather jumpsuit. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Could I ever be restored to that? I don't want to be restored to that, by the way. But that's the link. Restoration. Now we can laugh, can't we? Because it is funny. But the world needs restoring. People are properly broken. More than just your ankle not working anymore. Our modern world is the most prosperous it has ever been. And yet, it is the most unhappy I look at this picture of this young little lad here, and I tell you, it gets me every time. That's the reality of life for many. So you go from the young plaything on a plane, the myth, and then you go to the reality. You know, what do you see in those eyes when you look at them? It's broken. There's hate, possibly anger. He knows that's not what life should be for him. What does he need? He needs restoring. That's the reality of the world. We sell a myth, don't we? But the reality is people are suffering. And not just a couple here or there. A lot of us are suffering and we need healing. Romans 12 tells us this, we must not conform to the pattern of this world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So one of the most important things we can do is understand what is the pattern of this world and what is it trying to do to us so that we do not conform to it. So the pattern of this world for the last 300 years has been called modernity. Has anybody heard of modernity? We're going to do a bit of a cultural analysis because I think it's important. It's called modernity. And the first thing about modernity was this. God is irrelevant. God is irrelevant. He's got nothing good to say. So 300 years ago, people were thinking, how can we develop society? And the first thing some of them thought of was get rid of this guy. And we have that now today, don't we? What is the point of God? He's no different to the tooth fairy, is he? He's irrelevant. Religion out. God out and we're going to replace him with something else and that something else it becomes our replacement God 
That's the message of the Bible. We either serve God or we serve an idol. If you serve God, what happens? You will find life in all its fullness. If you serve an idol, what happens? It will crush you. So we replace God. We become the center. And then modernity said this. The world is like a machine. So the hope for the world is our own invention. It's technology. We invent, we create, we can master the world. We don't need to listen to things like the Sabbath and look after care for creation and love one another and justice and peace and morality. Boo, that is your stuffy religion. We are people of progress. We are modern. And our hope is in technology. And I love that. Because turn that thing on, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get crushed. And that's exactly what it does. The next thing, we need technology, but we need something more than that. I was chatting to Jess about this. The next thing is through technology, we need to be as productive as we possibly can. It's called a productive motive. Next, please. And that's what it does to us. We have to be super efficient, super producers, totally efficient on top of everything. So we have technology. We have efficiency where we squeeze as much as we can out of everything through our super efficient technology. And then the result is material prosperity. We have to flood the world. We've got to grow the economy. It's the economy. It's the economy. Get things moving. Let's start producing things. Because when people start buying lots of things, what happens to them? The next slide. Happiness. That is the pattern of the age. Listen to politicians. Listen to politics. Listen to Brexit. Listen to the economists. It's all about the economy. We have to get the economy. We've got to be more productive. We've got to flood this world with things because that's what will make people happy. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Out of this has grown something called paralogy. It's a modern, it's a phenomenon we're talking about now. And it means this. Every effort modernity tries to rid the world of its problems, it only seems to make those problems even worse. In the Bible, we call it idolatry. In the modern world, it's only taken us 300 years to work this out, by the way. It's called paralogy. It's a paradox. So let's talk about the labor paradox. Anybody from the 1950s? Do you remember the adverts in the 50s? Can we have some of those up? There we are. We were told that through technology, we would have hardly anything to do. Anything. This is the honest. We'd have nothing to do. Look at that poor old lady there on the left. Oh, her life is misery. How could she possibly cope with a bowl full of washing up? I feel like that whenever I see Heather doing the washing up. (laughs) Must be so hard for her. Another cup of tea, love. Thank you. Bit more washing up. <laughs> there's Heather, bless her, on the left. And there's me on the right. Because I trust in technology. And when you've got technology, you don't have to do anything, do you? And you're, so, you're constantly happy all the time. So in the 1950s, uh, a prediction was made by all the boffins. A serious prediction. And they said, by now... We would be working only a four-day week. Doesn't sound that bad, does it? Or doesn't sound that optimistic? Just a four-day week. But they said we'd only be doing that for six months of the year. 
we'd only work for six months of the year and only for four days. And they said we'd only do that up until the age 38 because then we could all retire because we, we don't know what to do with all our money. What do we do with all this cash? So in the 1970s, the church leaders of America got together seriously and they said, what are we going to do for the church and the people of this country when they have nothing to do? That was how strong the belief in modernity was. Technology is going to solve all our problems. But the paradox is this. Hands up who feels they're working hardly, you know, their job is so easy, they've got nothing to do. Facts are, in America, leisure time over that same period has decreased by a staggering 30%. People are burning out. I was talking to Jess about people in midwifery. It's an absolute nightmare. The pressure that's put on them to perform, to perform, to squeeze the last bit out of them. Why? Because that's what's going to make us happy. The one I like is uh, it's the Finnish. The BBC made a report on a guy in Finland. He worked for the tax office and he was a great worker. And I used to walk past him. There he is, head down, getting his work done. And they walked past this guy for two whole days until somebody finally said, do you think we should have a chat with him about his, his odour? He's thinking a bit. So they went over, got HR, went over to say, look, we need a chat with you about your, your body odour. And they find out he'd been dead for two whole days. Check it up on the BBC. Can you imagine walking past his office? Hi, John. Look at him, such a model worker, that. Never leaves his desk. No breaks for that man. Look at him. He was actually gone. Because the thing about the idols, and I really want you to get hold of this, if there's anything from this sermon... They completely and utterly objectify. They just turn people into objects, into things. What? Part of the machine. You become the cogs. You're part of the machine. That's all you are. We were told by this time poverty would be completely and utterly gone, eradicated. Here in the UK, we've got more millionaires and billionaires than ever, but homelessness has increased by 35% over the last two years. And the conservative estimate is over the next 10, it will increase by 75%. A study was done in America, which found that income inequality is at its highest in 45 years. And that 38% of young people from the black community are living in poverty. The promise was complete prosperity. Wealth pouring out everywhere. The reality, what does greed do? It makes people more greedy. 99% of the, the world have the same combined assets and income as the other 1%, according to Oxfam. The greedy are good at what? Keeping, building bigger barns, getting more and more. So we work harder. Life is tougher. We have less leisure time. Poverty is not being dealt with. In 2005, one billion people lived, were either homeless or lived in kind of squats or temporary accommodation. 
So we've tried to tackle that now seriously globally for 10 years, and it's increased by 600 million. Guys, the world needs restoring. And in our Western world, in Europe, where everybody's being squeezed, everybody's being objectified, proper relationships are difficult to come by because the gods are killing us, we get depressed. Depression is at an all-time high in, here in the UK. It's, incre- it's doubled over the last five years. Now, 10% of people are on medication for ill health. In Portugal, that's up to 22%. And it's increasing 20% year on year on year. Why? The idols are killing us. We have taken God out of the equation. We are being objectified. And why am I saying all this? Because it is rather depressing, isn't it? I'm telling you because we have the good news. Guys, we have the good news. And it goes like this. Put God back into the center of everything and follow him and the idols will no longer crush you and kill you and objectify you and dehumanize you. So do not feel embarrassed about the gospel. It's what everybody wants to hear. You can find life. You can be restored. You can feel loved. You can be appreciated. You can be respected. And the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. So please do not fall for the lie that the gospel is not good news. And people will find it offensive. It will change their lives. And it's what they are waiting for. Last two negative graphs. Here's one. Six and a half thousand people last year had just had enough and ended their lives here in the UK. And there's the graph. The top one is the one for males. And in this, you can read the lie. It kind of goes like this. This is what even secular sociologists are saying. The graph goes up because when you're young, a young male, you're like me, back on the plane. Life is your oyster. You can do what you want. Slowly but surely, you find out as you work harder and harder and get the things that you really want, they don't really satisfy you. So people get depressed and feel that's it. And the depression rate soar. And then after that, people settle into a life of mediocrity. And this is something we've got to be on to. And then in later life, as our elderly generation suffer with poverty and cold homes and ill health, we find that suicide rates increases there. And this is where we need to be active as the church. Now, it seems a lot better for females, doesn't it? Because they're the green line at the bottom. So I did a little digging, and here's the next research. That's attempted suicides. And look at the female one. Spikes from the age of 10 up to 19. It's dramatic. And it goes like this. Apparently, the theory is younger girls, in distinction to boys, I can chat with you after, Rachel, to see if that's true, they are more relationally developed. And what they do is they crave relationships. Boys like building things and making things. Girls like relationships more. So what happens in the world that says to a young girl, do you know how you want to be loved? Objectify yourself. Dress this way. Look this way. Behave like this. Be that successful. Then people are going to love you. That's what they do. 
And they find out they don't get loved. What do they do? They get objectified. That's exactly what happens. I like you because you're successful. I like you because what you give me. I like you because of the way you look. But I don't actually like you because I don't really know you. You're just a plaything. You're just an object. Are you hearing this? The gods are killing people. Our culture needs the gospel. It needs good news. We cannot no longer hide our light under a bushel. We have got to be bold. We've got to tell people there is hope in Christ. We have to attack modernity and say, no, God is at the center. When you take him out, this happens. And as I look around and I see people here, our restoration through God is total. He doesn't mess around when he comes to restore us. I look at families here. I look at people and individuals that when God has touched them, they have been totally and utterly made new. And this is what we need to try to be as God's people. A taste of that restoration. Now, when Ed Parker was putting this together, he wanted to talk about the prodigal son as an example of kind of, I suppose, what this, what's happening in this world. And can we have the first picture? Have we got the prodigal son there? Here it is. The pro- Does anybody know the story of the prodigal son? It's a wonderful, wonderful picture of what is happening right now. There's, there's the father, God, sitting down in his chair. And his son comes up to him, who has received, look, received all the wealth of his estate. And the son there, he's a bit of a dandy, isn't he? Look at him with his red robe. He's done nothing. He's worked for nothing. And his father lavishes on him all he's ever had. And then he says, Father, I wish you were dead. That's the equivalent of the parable in the Old Testament. Because if you went to your father and said, I know, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have the inheritance now? Because I really do wish you were dead so I can get it now and go off. Dad, I wish you were dead. And you know what? I want everything that's mine. And it's a tragedy. There's the dad sitting back reasoning with his son. No, I want to go my own way. The mother and the sister distraught in the corner. Even the dog is looking up at him and thinking, what are you doing? Do you understand what you have? Are you insane? I'm definitely not coming with you. I'm staying here. Even the dog gets it. But notice, as he speaks, the young dandy's got his hand on a sock of cash. He's not listening. That's what he wants. So we reject the father. We reject God. And then the story goes, where does he end up? Spent squandering all his money, doesn't he? But what what does the Bible say he does? The first thing he does is objectify people. He wants to buy happiness. He buys prostitutes. He objectifies people here. And what happens in return? He gets objectified. He's just a sucker with a lot of money. Give us your money, and when it's gone, you're off. And he ends up there with the pigs. Complete outcast and broken. And that's the answer, guys, for us and for the whole of our society. What decision did he make? Did he join a program? Did he say, if only the economy was better, if only we had better inventions and technology, 
I would be out of this mess. He decides to return to the Father. That's where it all starts. Returning to the Father who loves you. Can we go back one? Now that's a contrast. That is called the love of Mammon by Evelyn de Morgan. When you go back to the Father, you receive the divine embrace of love. This piece of artwork says what happens when you actually get to meet your idol. He looks straight past you. Go back. He doesn't even look at you. You plead for him to love you. He looks young, he looks youthful, but he's as cold as brass. And all he cares about is money. And now compare that with the love of the Father. There is the son on the right. He's he's disheveled, he's broken. If you look at his head, you'll find he's, he's diseased, he's unclean. But the Father brings him straight in to his bosom and loves him. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And this is by Rembrandt, and he's captured something very powerful in the face of the father. It's the face of a father who has been with that son through all his life. He knows what it's like to feel pain, the loss of a child. He knows what it's like to see his child ruined and destroyed by the world. The artist is telling us that whatever situation you've been in, God is there with you and he feels the pain of your suffering and all we have to do is return and he will make us new so what does that restoration look like to close let me take you to Ezekiel 47 does anybody know that one it's one of my favorites I'll read it to you The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now... It was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? This water flows into the desert and into the Dead Sea where it makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore where there will be fish like the Mediterranean Sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. My friends, when you come to faith, you are promised the Holy Spirit that will flood out of you like living water. And the whole idea of the body of Christ is to flood this world with God's presence and to make it live. It is the hope of the world. The images of water going out to the desert and fruit and life everywhere. 
It's the image of Eden restored. And this is the message that we have for us as the family of God to become a place that is so unified and restored one to another, so filled with the Holy Spirit that not only can we shout about the gospel, we can show people what it looks like when it touches people and touches neighbors and touches communities because through God's Spirit, all things shall be made new. So to finish, guys, we live in very interesting times and we live in a world of need. So please do not be ashamed of the gospel. It's exactly what we do need. It's not embarrassing. It's not irrelevant. It can change lives forever. And through us as a community of people in the unity of the Holy Spirit, This is what it means to be salt and light. A city on a hill, the light to the world, where people come in, find God, and find complete and utter restoration. So for all of us, let's bow before the King of Kings and come to him. Let's receive his transforming embrace. Let's love one another. And in confidence, proclaim and become the good news because that's what heals a broken world.